0: This is Breaking the Rules, a show for mental health professionals designed to help you build confidence in treating obsessive-compulsive disorder. I'm Dr. Celine Galgetch, and I'm a clinical psychologist who works extensively with OCD.
1: And I'm Dr. Victoria Miller, but you can call me Tori. And I'm a clinical psychologist who works with young people, including those with OCD. Through our shared professional experience, we've found that effective treatment of OCD requires commitment,
0: creativity, and the recognition that things can sometimes get a little messy. They sure can. We want to empower clinicians to be able to work with their patients in new ways to treat OCD with confidence. Hello, everybody. Today, we are going to be diving into another skills episode, looking at the different subtypes or themes, if you like of the kinds of obsessions people with OCD can have. This is a question we get asked about often. Do themes and or subtypes of OCD matter?
1: In this episode, you'll hear us talk about the various themes people experience, as well as a really neat way of conceptualising the themes of OCD, using the analogy of form and function. Let's get started. Celine. Yes, Tori, we're going to do skills episode. Themes of OCD today.
0: Yes. Oh my goodness. This gets so much attention, doesn't it?
1: I think so too. It's a really interesting part of working with people with OCD. It has real therapeutic value when designing a treatment plan and when helping people explore their OCD, but I think
0: it can make practitioners very nervous. Oh yeah. Especially <laughs> when you're new to the area.
1: I felt the same way when I first started working with OCD because it felt like I had to know all of the different subtypes of OCD off the top of my head. I felt like I had to have this vocabulary where when I was working with clients, I could pull it out and tease it and go, oh, well, that's a this theme and that's a that theme. But it's actually not so
0: important, is it? No, in the end, it's not. From a treatment perspective, it's important. It's a nice to know, but it's not going to be detrimental to your treatment plan in terms of when you're dealing with subtypes. And I think too, like I remember being nervous when clients would come in and they'd have this acronym around what type of OCD they would have. Oh, yeah. Because it sounds really cool. You know, I have H-O-C-D-P-O-C-D-R-O-C-D. And I was like, which P are you talking about? And which H? Are you talking about? There's words start with one letter. (laughs) That's (laughs) right. I know. Because they're not really official acronyms, are they? No, they're not. No, they're definitely not official acronyms. And even within the subtypes, research will only kind of have four or five umbrella. Yeah. Like I've seen four, I've seen five, I've seen seven. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Probably seen as many as 11. I think generally speaking, people say there are four subtypes, which I don't know that I subscribe to that.
0: I don't know. I mean, maybe. I know. I did an advanced workshop a couple of weeks ago and when I was putting the slides together, I was like, okay, I'm up to 18 subtypes (laughs) 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 because I wanted to do case studies of all the different types because it's something that supervisees ask in the sense of going, this person has these sorts of, you know, and I was like, whoa, this is a lot. Granted, some of them were overlap as well in a sense that I think if we think about general umbrella terms, a lot of the subtypes might be able to fit under more of a broader term. Yeah, rather than for subtypes, maybe four categories, for overarching themes, sort
1: of broader themes, but then within that it can get more specific. Someone who has some of those harm or aggressive themes isn't going to have all of the harm or, or aggressive themes. It'll be specific to the person within that. Tell us the 18. Do you know them off the top of your head? I
0: had to write them down. We've got harm, germs, scrupulosity. You can break this into two, religious scrupulosity and moral scrupulosity, order and symmetry, perfection. I kind of put that under order and symmetry. See, this is where it gets nuanced and detailed. At the same time, you can have perfectionism without order and symmetry. We were talking about this in our teen group last night. We were just last night. So perfectionism can also be about ideas and expectations as well and your own values and all that sort of stuff. So that's pushing it now into 19. Right? <laughs> yes, <laughs> this is getting bigger and bigger. Then you've got sexual intrusive thoughts, which can be branched off into your sexuality, intrusive thoughts about your sexuality, as well as pedophilic intrusive thoughts. Then you can have existential intrusive thoughts, intrusive thoughts about things being not quite right, false memory intrusive thoughts, superstition, real events, relationships, having somatic or sensory intrusive thoughts, metaphysical intrusive thoughts, transformation intrusive thoughts, and suicidal intrusive thoughts. That's a big list. And there are things there that people will be like, what is that? There's a few things like transformation, for example. This is something that I see a lot in young people. And I think you might too, Tori. And something we've been talking about in group as well. Yeah, absolutely. Where people feel like they're going to take on someone's negative personality characteristics virtue of just being
1: near them or the person touching something that they own. And then therefore, if they touch that thing, that
0: those negative characteristics will morph into them. That's right. Or even just scrolling on social media, if they're coming across people that they don't like the look of or don't like the message that they're sending and all that kind of stuff. And I'm sure this list will be forever growing in a sense of what people experience. But these are some of the ones we commonly see in practice in terms of the different themes that people experience.
1: Listening to you read out that list, you can understand why practitioners can become really overwhelmed by feeling a pressure to diagnose the subtype. And I'm interested to talk about that today, about the pros and cons of getting this concept of needing to diagnose to be really specific or particular about what the subtype is because I think understanding the subtypes can have great therapeutic value, but
0: it doesn't have to be something you get stuck on. That's exactly right because when we open up the DSM, there isn't a list of subtypes. Because it talks about, does the client experience obsessions? And the obsessions are characterized by unwanted intrusive thoughts that cause distress. And so any one of these subtypes will fit into obsession as a general category. So you've got to kind of use that as a guide. So in terms of when you're supervising clinicians, Especially new grads, one of the things that we always go back to is what is the DSM telling us rather than getting caught up in the narrative of OCD or getting caught up in the detail. And it's so easy to do with OCD because clients get so detailed.
1: Yes, because they're unpacking their thoughts and they're doing compulsive thinking about it. the reason it could be, but the reason it might not be. And what I thought about and where the logic is. But then the alternative thinking is, and you can get hooked into that thinking and feeling like you've got a really deep dive into that thinking with them. Whereas in fact, it's like, do you have an intrusive thought that you're finding distressing that is triggering worry beliefs and compelling you to do something to neutralize that thought, to avoid those feelings? If
0: the answer is yes, then we're on (laughs) track. (laughs) We're on our way. Yeah, that's right. Irrespective of what the theme actually is. But you're right in a sense that it is informative. It helps us paint the picture. So it allows us to kind of see what exactly is important to this person because quite often these intrusive thoughts tackle someone's value system. So it goes against values and beliefs and all that stuff. So it gives us a bit of an insight into the personality style of our client.
1: Yeah, because like, for example, pedophilic OCD is one that a lot of people find very distressing. And we find it a lot in new parents, particularly new mums. In fact, pedophilic intrusive thoughts are not specific to new parents. You could get it any time. You could get it when watching a show, just being near a child. You could be when you're around a friend's baby or child. But it's often, I think, because your attention to those intrusive thoughts increases when you're a parent. It reflects the time of life they're going through and their values about wanting to protect. And be a protective parent, and then so the
0: distress caused by these intrusive thoughts uh, really escalates because it's so ego dystonic. Absolutely, that's something that a lot of the time can happen in terms of when we think about someone's lifespan. A lot of the people who might present to treatment as adults sometimes talk about how their OCD has changed themes over the years, and when you look at those themes, it's very consistent with what they've been going through in their life at their time. So. As a teenager, they might have been experiencing thoughts about sexuality or they might be experiencing existential thoughts and so on and so forth or experiencing really intense perfectionism because they want to do well at school and all that stuff. So it can really reflect where they're at. And then sometimes I might present as an adult with pedophilic intrusive thoughts because I've just become a new parent and they're like, I dealt with this when I was younger, but this is really freaking me out. So yeah, it's interesting how it can reflect life. And I think that then
1: speaking about the idea about therapeutic value is that we talk, Celine a lot, which is actually one of the big motivations for starting this podcast, was about the work that exists with people, with clients with OCD, not just in relation to ERP, but about the breadth of work that you do. And this is where the themes come in. Because if you've got a young person who you're picking up themes of existential angst or Issues around individuation, for example, so they've got a lot of harm OCD. What if something happens to my parent because I'm growing up and I'm not going to be there to protect them, to be around them? And what if it's my fault because I go off in the world, I go off on my own and I abandon my parent? This is a developmental task that all adolescents have to face. And then so when you're seeing that theme, yes, you do exposures around the harm obsessions, but you also weave into your psychotherapy. How are you feeling about growing up? What are you imagining for your future? How are you feeling about the idea of moving out of home, getting a driver's license? What's all of this going to look like for you? And so helping them navigate those developmental phases. Same with a new parent who's grappling with the enormous task of protecting their child and feeling like they might not be good enough for helping them and holding them and protecting them in life. That's where the psychotherapy
0: component comes in. Absolutely. And that leads us into the idea of form versus function. This is used in interior design quite a lot and architectural design and all that sort of stuff. But I think it can really relate to OCD too, in a sense that the form of OCD is almost like, what does OCD look like? What is the theme that we're dealing with versus the function of that? What is the function that it's serving? And the example you gave is a beautiful example around, sure, this looks like harm OCD, but what's the function that it's serving here? And it's function that it's serving in a sense that How does it move in this person's life? How are these intrusive thoughts impacting on this young person's or adult person's day to day life? Is if I focus on these sorts of intrusive thoughts, then I don't have to actually deal with what's going on underneath, which is the function of knowing that at some point I'm going to have to separate from my family in terms of the idea of growing up and what that means and having that sense of responsibility as well, but also separating from that and being able to live their own life at the same time and to have fun and explore and sure, at times leave your family behind, but then always come back to them at the same time as well. So this idea of what's the theme and how does it move? So form versus function, how does it look and what's the function of it? What's going on here for this person underneath? the theme that might be driving some of these things. And look, it's not the case for everybody. For some people, it really is just a textbook kind of obsessions, compulsions, exposure. That's it. But for a lot of people, there is this idea of a function happening underneath. So what function is OCD serving in this moment?
1: It's a beautiful way to think about it. And then I think it also, that idea of form versus function helps you actually structure intervention to think about, okay, we focus on the form. So what is the OCD? So then engage in ERP, but then the function is like a thing to listen for and then to weave in and be curious about and wonder about as time goes on. And it's also a really important thing to think about if ERP is getting stuck, if the therapy doesn't seem to be progressing the way it could be then that's when function becomes a really useful tool in therapy to say, what is it about the compulsions that this young person or this adult doesn't want to let go of? It is helping them cope
0: with something that they're grappling with. We need to attend to that thing so that they can let OCD go. Absolutely. hundred percent. That's so important. A lot of the time clients will kind of move up their hierarchy up to a certain point. Because I can sit with a little bit. And then when it gets a bit more challenging, it's like, no, I'm putting on the brakes, holding on to the side rails, (laughs) holding on to everything in the car. Don't let this, (laughs) I'm not moving forward anymore. (laughs) That's enough now. (laughs) And look, some clients are very aware of that process and they're like, I'm actually okay with most of my life back. I'm okay with this. They'll kind of just want to keep things as they are until another rupture happens and they might come back to therapy whereas other clients aren't aware of that process. And so it's up to us to gently kind of work that in, as you're saying, to be able to build insight around that and then address it so they can feel comfortable in letting go of that, knowing that they've addressed the very thing that was driving OCD in the first place. And I think that's particularly true for clients who use intellectualization. would you
1: say? Oh, yeah. who want to stay in the space of understanding and working with form. Yes because they have a much harder time actually tuning into their emotions and their body.
0: And we can get pulled into that, absolutely, as well, because it seems important. It seems important to really get pulled into that. So it's up to us to go, no, I need to take a step back, observe what's going on, notice that the client is hanging on to form and really move into function, which is really more, as you described, of that emotion-focused approach to working with OCD.
1: We'll talk about that down the line that's embedded within ERP so you don't have to do one or the other. It's really just taking a pause. It might be that you are planning exposures and you're noticing some resistance and you're saying to your client, what's happening here? What's this resistance about, do you think? Why do you reckon we're getting stuck? Yeah. What is it about planning for this next phase of exposure that is accelerating your anxiety or resistance? Let's think about what the resistance is about. Beautiful. But I'm curious, let's take a step back, assessing for subtypes.
0: What's your method? Some of the psychometrics are really good at pulling them apart, but there's also a lot on there, like from the list that I just read that aren't on the psychometrics. So, like what we talked about last time, I always run a semi structured clinical interview followed by psychometrics to kind of help fill in the gaps a little bit. But then at the same time, while working with my client, I'm always listening, always asking questions about, oh, that's an interesting response. What's going on there? Like, tell me a little bit more about what just happened. Or sometimes clients when they're building rapport with you might take a few sessions to disclose some other subtypes they might be experiencing for fear of being judged, guilt and shame and all the rest of it. So you're always working on it, always asking some of these questions. And we might be working on one exposure task sometimes, but then something else will get triggered and you're like, whoa, what just happened there? (laughs) It's just this working idea of just listening, listening out and watching for reactions and responses, especially if your client is looking very preoccupied while you're talking about one thing. And so it's always observing what's going on as well. There's no formality to it, but it's just this idea of kind of putting all of those skills together in terms of using psychometrics, having a semi-structured clinical interview, but then knowing that not everything will get divulged for whatever reason, and then listening out for that and looking out for that and asking those questions and being curious.
1: Especially knowing that sometimes we're often working with clients with OCD for a long time. And so knowing that there's often an evolution in presentation over time, that what you decipher at the beginning of your working relationship might not be the same 12 months down the track. It might be that you need to keep listening and going, oh, okay, we're playing with some new players here. So you're right. You do need to always be listening out for it. I'm the same as you. I really like starting from a place of psychometrics and using the tools To sort of help bring some order, so to speak, because I think one of the things I like about subtypes at the beginning of treatment is that sometimes we work with clients who have done a lot of research and they come in, as you were saying, like they have a pretty good insight into what's going on for them and they're just really ready to access treatment. But sometimes people come in and they are overwhelmed or they haven't been diagnosed with OCD. And what those subtypes in that moment help do is help just organize their thinking, help them build insight, help them understand and actually normalize their experience. Yeah. And give them language as well. Absolutely. And to help them sort of untangle what feels like a big, overwhelming mess. We often talk about that in OCD, that the experience can feel too hard to tackle. It can feel really hard to know where to begin. Because everything can just feel so overwhelming. And so I think the subtypes actually breaking it down and going, okay, well, so here are some themes. And if we're going to tackle this, let's even order the themes. So, which are the hardest obsessive themes to tackle and to think about? Which are the less distressing themes? So, why don't we? So, you start there and then you break it down within the themes, but just normalizing it, taking away some of that shame. I think actually that's where talking about subtypes has an enormous amount of
0: utility. It really does. In the early stages, it's really important, especially then in enabling you just just as an extension of that in allowing you to kind of formulate your treatment plan. Yes, but not from a perspective of what do I do with it? Because the process is always the same, but it's what's the content that I need to include in my treatment plan in a sense of What's the hierarchy going to look like? What content do we need to put in scripts that we might use? And we'll come to this in future skills episodes when we're talking about treatment. If you're not familiar with it already, what kind of scripts might be used? What kind of triggering content might my client be triggered by? It's a bit of a mouthful. (laughs) They're the kinds of things that it's really helpful for.
1: So like a really good example, I think for that is the harm OCD is probably a really easy one to demonstrate. So if someone's got harm OCD and you're thinking about exposure tasks, then you start thinking about looking at graphic images on the internet, watching a movie that has violent content in it, reading a book. It might be writing a story about fictional characters where harm comes to them or you do harm to them. It might be then writing a story about people that you know getting hurt or harmed in some way, or you hurting or harming them. So identifying what the theme is helps you then break down and be creative about what your exposure activities is going to be. That's why knowing what the subtype is, is helpful. Otherwise it can feel a little bit more ordered and organized.
0: Again, it kind of helps you with the form, what's treatment going to look like, but then the function of treatment, how do I do it doesn't change. Yeah, exactly right. And I guess I don't want people to listen to this and freak out going, but I don't know what themes my client is presenting with. You don't have to know. Use something like the Y box, right? Exactly. Because the
1: Y box is quite detailed and the obsessions and compulsions are listed under subtype categories. They really are, yeah. The client ticks whether they do or don't have obsessions and compulsions in the different subtypes and then you have discovered which subtypes
0: they have. That's exactly right. (laughs) Yeah, and a lot of assessment tools are like that. Also, we've just reeled off a massive list of them. So (laughs) you can... (laughs) Write them down, <laughs> write them down and, and ask questions like, do you ever have thoughts that you might accidentally kill yourself that freak you out? Do you ever have thoughts while scrolling through social media or being around others that you're going to take on their personality characteristics? So if you know what the subtype is, you can ask those questions. But if you're not confident doing that, use a questionnaire. Absolutely. are. And there's no harm in doing
1: that. They're very informative. I use them every time. Oh yeah, same. I think we've done a pretty good job of covering subtypes beautifully covers the essence of what subtypes are and how to think about them, how to assess for them, and then how to use them.
0: I think it's a really nice overview. And if you're having trouble picking that apart, explore it with your client because clients are okay with doing that. Clients are really okay with you exploring and knowing that you're listening to them and you're valuing what's going on for them as opposed to just assuming or not even paying attention and getting on with it. If you're super, super stuck, then like take it to supervision, like anything else, always. It's been so fun. Thank you guys so much for listening. And we will have our next episode in a fortnight.
1: Bye. Bye.
0: You've been listening to Breaking the Rules, a show for mental health professionals designed to help you build confidence in treating obsessive compulsive disorder. This podcast is brought to you by Melbourne Wellbeing Group, a
1: psychology practice based in Melbourne with a special focus on treating OCD. To find out more, head to our website, melbournewellbeinggroup.com.au. All one
0: word, that's melbournewellbeinggroup.com.au. This podcast was made with strategy and production support from Wavelength Creative. To make sure you don't miss an episode of Breaking the Rules, be sure to subscribe to or follow the show in your podcast app. And while you're there, leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find the show. I'm Celine Galgetch. And I'm Tori Miller. And we'll be back next episode with more reasons to convince you to get messy. Have fun and and break break the rules. rules.